Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Well, good morning. I want to, uh, well, welcome anyone who's visiting with us. I'm glad you're here in our church this morning, and I hope you enjoy our worship and the rest of the service. And I do want to bring everyone up uh, to date a little bit on that last announcement that Ruth just made regarding the Live Free Conference. It's really going to be an excellent conference, a great outreach to the Arabic-speaking community in and around uh, our, our city and the county. Ruth will be in the foyer this morning. Last week after I talked about this, there was some great response. And I know I just mentioned think about it, but I was already getting text messages and emails afterwards. So if you would just give your name to Ruth Bellinger in the foyer this morning, or you can just send her an email at rbellinger at yourbcc.org. That would be great. We're looking forward to this. One of the organizers was here during the week. His name is Marwan, and uh, he was so gracious. He had lunch made for us, and it was outstanding that some of the ladies from his church, Hope Church, uh, put together an authentic Mideastern lunch, which was just fabulous. And then Marwan shared some more of his story with us. He is just on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ because he came to know the Lord in a really tangible and personal way. He was born in Iraq during the Saddam Hussein era. His family moved to Jordan to try to get out of some of that craziness. His father ended up giving all of their money. They were uh, people with some means, gave all his money to some uh, couriers that were going to take his father and Marwan himself into Europe. They wanted to uh, break free from all the trouble that area had seen. So after spending all their money, they were put on trucks and in cattle cars and they ended up in Bulgaria. And he said then, Everyone that was in that crew was taken. They were going to go to the next stop, but they said, they, they said to my dad and uh, to Marwan, we need more money from you. And they had spent all their money. And they said, well, we don't have any more money. So this group said, well, you're not going. You're going to be stuck here in Bulgaria. And actually what they did is they sold them to human traffickers who uh, sold them two more times. Each, each time, I guess, getting more money until finally they were in the hands of some criminals that said, we need money from you or we're going to kill you. And he said he watched as not one person, but two people were killed in front of him. And that got his dad motivated, even though there was no money, they thought. They uh, used a phone and they just began to call. And they found someone back in Jordan who was able to put together some money, sent it to them. They were set free, but they were put into a camp in Bulgaria where they spent six months. And they bartered food in order to earn money uh, to eventually try to escape that camp, which they did. They took a a long time to get back to Jordan. They walked. And uh, when he arrived home, he had gangrene in his foot. Now he's maybe 12 years old and he said, I had gangrene and it was coming up my leg and they, uh, his mom didn't know what to do. She was still there. 
They ended up at a Christian doctor who said, you don't need to worry about your gangrene. It's going to be healed and prayed for him. And he said, here, use this ointment and take these pills. And his mother said, you're crazy. We've already done all this. They're telling us his leg needs to be amputated. And the doctor said, no, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm praying for him. In two weeks, he'll be healed. And he said, he watched that gangrene go out of his leg. And in two weeks, he was healed. And he was here walking on two legs. So from that point, he was really interested in Jesus. Uh, although his family, uh, they weren't Muslim, uh, but they weren't really, uh, really practicing any faith solidly. Uh, he said that he was introduced to a Christian church through a friend where he really was saved, born again, uh, through a miracle uh, that just there's so many details in his story. They, his family ended up in Alabama and then uh, they moved to Detroit and he spent some time working at a TV station where uh, he eventually gave up his job by faith and he's helping this church now. And so he is just on fire to get people here. So I hope, you're, uh, I hope you're thrilled about this and you make a point. It's like a short-term mission trip right here at your church. You can come and minister to people from another culture, learn about them, and give them a place where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's three days, July 15, 16, 17, and I hope you can participate. We're looking forward to it. It's uh, very interesting times, not only in our culture, but in the world, isn't it? This week, some really interesting news in Europe. British walked out, or, or Britain walked out of the uh, European Union. So uh, they called it the, the Brexit, right? The British exit. Uh, and now they say that other nations are going to follow. It's craziness, and the, the, the markets are all going Oh, wacky. I'm not worried about it. I'm really in good hands, and that's the hands of God Almighty, and I hope you're there too, that you don't need to really worry so much about these things. Uh, nations do as nations do. So if the nation of uh, the United Kingdom wants to get out of the European Union, that's fine. They, those people can, uh, they can vote, and they can set their destiny uh, they don't necessarily want to stay in unity. They want to go it alone. And that's okay for a nation to say that about themselves. Countries can do that. People collectively can do that. But individuals, sometimes we want to go alone, don't we? Is it really healthy for us to say, I'm going to go it alone, to walk away from a group or walk out of unity? You know, as human beings, we weren't created to go it alone. We were created to be in fellowship, one with another, and we were created to be in fellowship with God Almighty, our Creator. He created us that we would be in unity with Him and unity with others. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. How do we stay in unity? Well, we can uh, be unified in worship times. This morning, as we're all in unity, worshiping God in times of prayer. Yesterday, we had a prayer meeting in our chapel. Great group of people out. Prayer unifies us. It brings a bond. And then another important, imperative, foundational, essential way to stay in unity with others and unity with God is to stay true to the Word of God. To make this important in our lives... And 
stay true, it, it builds bonds. It brings us together. When there's fractures and there's splits and there's breaks and there's schisms in a church, someone's walking away. They walk out. I'm going to go it alone. And oftentimes it's based on their understanding or I should say their misunderstanding of God's word. One person construes the word to mean something. Another person says, no, it means this. And I'm not going to be in unity with you. I'm breaking away. I'm walking out. And that's not a new phenomenon, these uh, arguments, debates over God's word. Early in church history, there were those who made the Bible say exactly what they wanted it to say. Some denied the God of the Old Testament. There was a guy named Marcion in the second century, in the second century, and he essentially just threw out the Old Testament. I don't like that God of the Old Testament. I'll just get rid of it. Some denied that Jesus Christ was fully divine. A guy named Arius in the third century. That was his deal. Well, Jesus is not divine. He's not equal with God. And so it began. And so it continues to the 21st century. There are those that say the Bible means what they want it to say. So how does that affect us? What should we do? Should we stop discussing the Bible? Should we stop talking about it? No, biblical discussions have merit. Paul, the apostle, commended the Bereans. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He commends them for questioning what he teaches. They were examining the scriptures daily to see whether the things that Paul taught were actually truths in scripture. That's a good practice. Paul told them that's a good thing. But when we question, we must. We must have a sound, repeatable method for examining the scriptures and to determine what's true. We can't say, well, we'll look at it one way today and a different way tomorrow so that it can just do what we want it to do. We can't be like Marcion of the second century and say, eh, well, God is, he is, uh, he's harsh, and I don't like the God of the Old Testament, so I'll just tear that section right out. That's not rightly interpreting the word. It's not rightly dividing the word. We can question God's word. We can wrestle with it. But we just can't make things up. There's an old saying, it goes back to at least the 17th century. Some say it goes back even further to the 4th century with uh, St. Augustine. And it's this, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all else, charity. In other words, there are some things in Scripture we, we can talk about and we may differ on them. But there are other things that are set firm and we stay in unity on them. And we must remain in unity on those things, like... God created the heavens and the earth. Like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one God in three divine persons. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. They are one God in three persons and each one is whole and entirely God. It's a mystery. We don't understand it fully. But it's foundational to Christianity. He will never change through the ages. That was in one of our songs this morning. That's an essential. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mankind was created by God. We are the creation. 
And we were created with volition. And mankind chose to sin. Sin is a present and a persistent problem in the world. That's a truth. Jesus is the only way, the one and only way for a human being to deal with sin and to be reconciled back to God, to be in fellowship with him. That's an essential. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. He died. He was resurrected. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is active in the lives of believers today. Jesus will return. These are essentials. We must be in unity on these. We talk about them. We teach them. We discuss them. We might even debate some of the finer points. But we can't not compromise on these essentials in the Word of God. They're true and they're confirmed throughout God's Word. So on these essentials, we remain united. We're united by His Word. It's truth. And I want to show you uh, this in a a passage from Hebrews chapter 4. But before I read that passage, I just want to give you a little bit of background on Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is a lesson on rest. It's a talk about Sabbath, meaning rest. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that God rested on the seventh day. God offered the nation of Israel a rest... From their bondage, he uses the example that they were going to be put into the promised land. And he called that a rest. It was a rest from their slavery, from their bondage. God took them out of Egypt. He was going to bring them in this land where they could enjoy it. The land flowing with milk and honey, where they could find some rest. But did they enter the rest? No. They didn't. They didn't just leave Egypt and go into rest. No. An entire generation of Israelites perished in the wilderness. And the the writer of Hebrews tells us this and says it was because of their unbelief. They did not believe God. And because of their unbelief, they didn't enter his rest. Then the writer says there's a better rest. A better rest Now, because Jesus Christ has come and Jesus Christ has died and he has resurrected and he has opened up a new and a better way to enter into rest, you enter into the rest found in Jesus Christ. It's beyond entering a land and there is no effort, no effort that man can make, no effort I can make, none that you can make that can bring us this eternal rest, to rest from anything that we might do to be reconciled to God. No, there's only one way. It's Jesus Christ. And if we want to find that rest and enter into it, this eternal Sabbath, we must receive it by faith, by belief. Unbelief results in the same state that the uh, Israelites found themselves in. Lost. Lost in a wilderness. And if you're lost in that wilderness today, you can find rest by coming to Jesus Christ. So the writer sets this forth, and then he reminds the reader of what it's all based on. What is this based on that he can say all these things? And he says, it's the Word. It's the Word of God. What I was talking about earlier, the Word. So it's Hebrews 4, chapter 12 to 14, and it reads, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to... Two, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. 
everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So we need to hold on to our faith. And what tells us this? The word, the word of God. The writer tells us it's not a dead word. The word is alive. And we might think about this in two ways. Think about the word a couple of ways. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word which came to life. John's gospel tells us in the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. He is the living word. And it's because of Jesus, the living word, that we too can have life. We can leave the lost wilderness experience, come to Christ, and find life. A life of rest, rest from dead works, rest from dead works that accomplish nothing to reconcile us unto God. Now, secondly, this passage in Hebrews, it gives clear implication that this word of God is the revealed word of God, the written word of God, the scriptures, and they are life. They're alive. The written word is alive. Jesus himself said this, quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8. So this is not a new concept about the word bringing life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word is life, and it's always been life. And God declared it back in the Old Testament, which the guy Marcion wanted to throw out, but we don't throw out because it's true. God's word is life. He declared it. Jesus quoted it. The writer of Hebrews confirms it. And I want to just say this, Bethesda Christian Church will be a church that feeds off the living word of God. That is what we are going to do. We're going to present the living and true word of God. Now, in our culture today, it's, it's a shame. It's unfortunate, but there are some churches that do not present the living word. They present a dead word, man's word, a word that condones and sanctions sin because it feels good. It sounds good. But it conforms not with God, it conforms with man and man's self-righteousness, not the righteousness of the living word, Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that condones this outright sin, and unfortunately there are churches that do it, and they use the very word of God to justify it. Things like same-sex marriage and gender modification and bisexualism, these things have been embraced by many who put the title Christian on their church, and they stand up and they validate these things using God's word. And I'll say they've gone astray. This is not rightly putting forth the true word of God. Bethesda's going to be a church that feeds off the living and true word. We're going to present the true word. It's on the word of God that this church will remain centrally focused. Now I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in my inaugural message this very thing. 
And I also put it in the letter that was in uh, the transition booklet. It's not a new concept. This is nothing novel. This is nothing uh, somehow earth-shattering. But it's a way for us to state our mission. It's a way for us to state our mission clearly and succinctly. I desire a church that's united to know God's word. Deep down in every heart. In a church where everyone is faithfully living the word every day. In a people that openly, willingly, boldly share and spread this word. Know, live, and spread the word of God. This is our mission. And again, I say it's not anything really new or novel. I just, I say it this way because it puts it there somewhat succinctly and easily. We'll know the word, we'll live the word, we'll spread the word. And I want to look at these three concepts just briefly today and then in the weeks to come unfold them a little bit more. So to know God's word, to know it properly, its principles and its truths is to have life. It's to have life because it's the living word. I've just shared that passage from Hebrews chapter 4 that God's word is living It pours out. It comes from the one and the only living God. The word is alive. It's active. Other English versions of the Bible say it's powerful. This active, powerful, energized word of God can in no way be experienced unless we first come to know it. We have to come to know it. At the close of Moses' life, he reminded the people of his nation the words of the law that God had given him. Moses, the Old Testament leader, had received the law from God. God had given it. Moses wrote it down. And at the end of his life, he reiterated it. He rehearsed it again. And then he, then he uh, recited a song to the people, a song that God had given him. And it's a very strongly worded and sobering song because it tells what will happen if they stray from God, if they forget God, if they abandon God by unbelief. It told of troubling things which uh, would occur if the people did these things. But I want to give you the conclusion of Moses' uh, Words after he gave his song, here he kind of concluded the whole matter. It's in Deuteronomy 32, verses 45 to 47. It reads, When Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They're not just idle words for for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So what's Moses saying? He's saying, learn it. Learn this word. You need to come to know it. Take it to heart. I'm not just up here talking because I like to hear my voice. That's not what Moses is saying. These aren't idle words. These are important words. They're actually your life. They're your very life. You must know the word. But to know it only, to know it only, that's not enough. His word has to be expressed. We can get it in us, but we need to express it. We must live this word that we get to know. We must live the word as much as we know the word. It has to be put into practice. Living the word 
Because the word is our very life. The whole, this whole life, this whole thing we call being a Christian. I think the notion of living the word is probably the toughest challenge for any one of us that calls ourselves a Christian. Because we can get to know the word, we can memorize it and all these things. We can recite it rote. We can offer insights and advice to others. Hey, this is what it says. But are we being obedient to its directives? Are we following what it says in our daily life? Does it lead us? Does the word guide us? Is it the very basis of our daily living? Now this was the problem for the Pharisees in Jesus' time. They knew the word backward and forward. They knew it upside down and inside out. When it came to the technicalities, they were experts. But when it came to daily living, Jesus said, "Eh, I don't think you're measuring up. As a matter of fact, he was very stern with them. Jesus called them hypocrites. These were the people who were the experts. They knew it all. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus Gives them a woe. That whole chapter is filled with woes to the Pharisees. Seven of them. I give you one. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. They needed to be doing both. But they were just really following the legal technicalities of the law. Living the word is practicing more than just the legal technicalities. Now, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I hope you don't want to be hypocrites either. And I know there have been times where I haven't faithfully lived out everything. And Lord, oh, I have to confess, I've been that hypocrite i got to allow the word to be my guide. We must allow the word to be our guide, to penetrate our thoughts. More than just get into our memory, penetrate the intent of our hearts. Again, the passage from Hebrew reads, God's word judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Other English Bibles say the word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And I think there's something worth noting here in this passage. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And there's a Greek term here that's translated to the word judges. Or it's translated to discerner. The word judges. The word of God judges. And it's an interesting Greek term. It's only used one single time in the the Bible. Just this one time right here in this passage from Hebrews... And the Greek word is kritikos. Kritikos. What does that sound like? Critique. The Greek word kritikos, meaning able to judge, it gives us the English word critic. If you look, if you look up the word critic in a good dictionary, it says it comes from the Greek word kritikos. A critic is someone who judges the value or the quality of something, right? We have movie critics and we have book critics and they tell you, ah, this is good, this is okay. Ah, this one's great. Ah, this one's really bad. Are we allowing the word of God to be our critic? 
What did we hear today from a word that was given? Will you put my word in place of your word? Will you allow the word of God to be your critic? Will you allow God to put his image? Are you going to be my image or your image? Is the word of God being your guide, being your critic, or is it something different? Because I think sometimes we're pretty fast to criticize the word of God. To say, well, maybe that doesn't work for and I can't do that. Not that, not, not that particular, not for me. And I, I mean, we might not criticize the word really heavily or harshly, but the world, the world sure does. The culture sure does. The culture says the word is intolerant. It says it's judgmental. It says it's antiquated. And that's the way the world sees it. But it isn't the truth. The truth is the living word of God is our guide. It is our life manual. And we need to take God's word to heart, know it deep in our heart, and then live it. Then live the word. Allow God's word to be your critic. And then we need to move forward and share that gospel. Share and proclaim the good news. Spread the word. Know the word. Live the word. Spread the word. Now, we don't need to know it all at once and understand it exactly before we can spread the word. And we don't need to live it perfectly and exactly and so rightly before we spread the word. We're all in a process of sanctifying our lives and getting closer to the Lord. None of us are perfect. So to know the word, live the word, spread the word, it all goes hand in hand. There isn't some exacting order here. I'm not trying to say that. We need to, we, we need to put all three of these into our life. And we need to be called on at any time. To share what we know of the word of God. To show how we live out the word of God. Or, or just when we're challenged, just to be able to step up and share a little and spread a little bit of the word. And I want to close this morning with an example. An example from my own life. And I know some of you have heard this before, so please bear with me. I know there's some that have never heard this. And I want to share a, uh, an incident in my life that occurred. Now, this was quite a number of years ago, and I believe it was before I was even here working at the church. And it occurred on a, a weekend. It was a Saturday or a Sunday. I had been working at my house. I'd been working in my basement. And I was dirty. I'd been down there for a couple of days, it seemed. Uh, I hadn't shaved for a few days. I was covered with sawdust. I was in my torn up jeans and a t-shirt. I smelled bad because I hadn't taken a shower for a while. I mean, I had to get this project done in my basement. It was evening. I was cranky. I was what they call hangry because I hadn't eaten. And I really don't recall what occurred, but Julie and I begin to talk. And I guess to use a term that... Uh, Kevin Ramsby used for us once here. Julie and I got into some intense fellowship, okay? <laughs> and I could probably say the accent is on tense, all right? And I just want to say to you, we're normal. We are normal people. You know, we deal with things from time to time. And so we were in the, involved in this intense fellowship, and I needed a break, I needed to just step out and get a breather. So I stepped out. I stepped out. 
got in the car and I was going for a ride because I needed to let the tension ease a little bit. And I found myself on Gratiot Avenue going, going to uh, the north and uh, along the way there somewhere past Metro, there is a Burger King. And I was hungry. So I pulled, it was, it was dark, it was night. I pulled into that Burger King and I got out of my car and out of the shadows in front of my car, out of the bushes, uh, a head appears and I hear, uh, you got a quarter? And I just ignored it. I was in no mood to deal with anybody. I thought this person, this man had, a, had an addiction and I wasn't going to feed his addiction. I wasn't going to help him. And I kept walking. And then I heard him again. You have a quarter. And then he said this. He said, I'm hungry. And it stopped me in my tracks. He said, I'm hungry. So I was still a little tense. And I said, no. I don't have a quarter. I'm not going to give you a quarter. I said, but if you're really hungry, come with me. And I just kept on walking. And I walked into that Burger King. And that man followed me. And we were the only ones standing there in line. And uh, the lady behind the counter looked a little annoyed that I brought this man in. And she was probably annoyed just with the way that I looked. I looked really, like, (laughs) bad. And I made my order. I said, I'll take this. And then I said, whatever. I looked at this guy. Whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. So he makes his order. And we're standing there. We're the only ones there. And I'm not even looking at him because I'm, I'm angry. I'll be honest. I'm angry. And he said, I prayed for you this morning. And I'm like, really? Who is this guy? I've never met him. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, sure, right. And he, I didn't even respond. He says it again then. He says, I prayed for you this morning and God sent you. I asked him, for someone to help me. And now I'm thinking, oh, really? You know, I wonder how many times this guy's played this line to someone at Burger King so he could get a meal, right? I'm still not believing him. And he says, I pray every morning. He said, I pray Psalm 91. It is a prayer of protection. He says, I pray Psalm 92. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, so I prayed them today and then I prayed for you. And I'm like, no way. This guy is making this up. And I thought for a minute, you know what? My kids went to Bethesda Christian School where they had to memorize Psalm 91. And the way that they memorized, I helped them. I know Psalm 91. I can recite Psalm 91. I know it. So in my heart, I'm still angry because of my home situation and this guy bothering me. And now I figure he's lying to me to get a free meal. And I say to myself, I'm going to show him up because I know Psalm 91. So I just start rolling. I'm standing there. The Burger King lady's there. This guy's next to me. And I say, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. And I don't really need to say any more because this guy is right with me now. And he's reciting every word of it. And he's going through Psalm 91. 
Well, I get to the end of Psalm 91 with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? Well, now what? Now I'm standing there next to this guy and he begins to say, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord (laughs) and sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Well, that's verse 1 of Psalm 92. The only thing is, I didn't know it. (laughs) And he rolls all the way through Psalm 92. Well, I got to stand there silent. And the Burger King lady's looking at us like we're crazy. (laughs) So I realized... This man was being honest with me. He had prayed Psalm 91. He had prayed Psalm 92. And he prayed that the Lord would send someone to help him. He looks to me. I'm an angry man. I am mad. I am hungry. I am dirty. I stink. And I'm going to be used by the Lord to help this guy. I felt about this big. And then... I took the time to sit down and have a meal with this man. And I learned he wasn't, he didn't have addictions that I would have been feeding. He had just fallen on hard times. He had lost his home. He had become estranged with his family, but he had been working on rekindling the relationship. Told me he had actually made some good progress there. And he was pretty close to getting back on his feet. And I left there. I was feeling better. This man... He fed my spirit. And you know, a Whopper and fries actually helped out too. Uh, (laughs) But I'll tell you what, I was humbled. I, I mean, I went home, I was humbled. I apologized to Julie. I told her, you know, how God had used this man to help me, to minister to me. And what was my attitude? What was I trying to do? Well, I knew God's word, right? Or at least I knew one psalm. And I used that in an attempt to shame this guy. That was what uh, my goal was. Yeah, this guy is lying to me. I'm just going to shame him. But I failed and I was shamed. You know, what was my living out God's word at that moment? It was a total failure. It was a bad example. It was terrible. I didn't want to help the guy when he initially asked me. Was wrong. And then, was I in the mood to spread God's word? Absolutely not. I didn't, for what I knew of the word, lived the word, spread the word then, it was just off. A terrible example. I was like a, a lamp without a light. And yet this homeless man, he showed me how he knew God's word how he prayed it each morning. Regardless of the problems he had in his life, he was living the word. He was applying God's word to his daily life and his prayer and the way that he treated others like me. And then he opened the door to spread the word to me. Very simple, very simple way. I prayed for you this morning. Opened the door to talk about the Lord. Simple sentence. 
I want us to be like that. I want us to be people who know God's word, who live it, who share it and spread it. In the weeks to come, I want to take more time to examine just in detail some of the, some of the aspects of knowing the word, living the word, and spreading the word. The aspects of this mission that I just put before you. I want Bethesda to become renowned. I want them to be known as people who know, live, and spread the word. And I just want to say, I know we had a prayer time earlier this morning. But if you want to be strengthened along these lines. But if you had a day like I had a number of years ago where you were angry and you did the wrong thing. You know, God's faithful to at least forgive us when we come to him humbly. You don't need to rush out this morning. If you'd like to stand, we'll close with a song. But I just want to invite you again that these altars are open. Now you can come and get... Receive some prayer. If you have any issues, the elders are always here. You can be anointed with oil. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never really committed your heart to him, he'll save you from the wilderness. You you come and, and talk to him. Let him know your struggles, your issues, your trials, your tribulations. He'll help you. He'll reconcile you unto God. He'll deal with your sin. You can talk to him about what you've done wrong. I've had to talk to him about what I've done wrong. We all have. But he can help you to get right with the Lord. So let's stand. Let's close with, oh, praise the name. Let's lift up praise to the Lord. And again, I say you don't have to run out. If you need some prayer, come on to the altars or just give the Lord a great shout of praise as you leave the sanctuary this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here today. We praise you for your mighty acts, your excellent greatness. God, bless your people. Bless them, Lord. May your hand be upon them. Lord, today and the week to come, God, I just pray that everyone here would be reminded as they go about their business that they need to know your word, have it deep in their heart. They need to live it, God, regardless of what crosses their paths. And Lord, give them opportunities to share your gospel, the good news, that it be spread and your kingdom be expanded. Bless everyone in this sanctuary, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning.